Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 22. If, if it's challenging for you, it's almost certainly going to be challenging for others. There's this desire to like innovate and be like cool and exciting in the technology you use. If it takes you five minutes to figure it out, it's going to take your students 10 minutes to figure it out. They're going to get frustrated and rightfully so. I think we all kind of like you get a new cell phone and it's not the one you've used before. And suddenly you don't want to use the thing because it's frustrating. That's the same way that a student might feel, whether they are K through 12 or um, in higher education. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hello, teachers and educators, and happy Thanksgiving week to those of you who are listening uh, when this releases. And for those of you who are listening later, uh, happy belated Thanksgiving week, I guess. <laughs> uh, great episode today, um, a really timely episode as I talk with Dr. Allie Goldstein about creating communities through online learning. Uh, and she rightfully addresses the, the difference between online learning and distance learning. Uh, online learning being uh, used as the term to discuss a, a class that is designed from the beginning to exist in an online space, right? Which you see uh, more and more at the collegiate level. But uh, compared to what uh, she calls the education crisis uh, response right now that is happening across the country as COVID-19 cases surge and schools are being forced to shut down again, uh, forced into distance learning. Um, as we see, again, these the rise in cases going into the holiday season. So uh, that difference in distance versus online is important to acknowledge. Uh, and we talk about a few of the resources that you can begin to utilize, but more importantly, how you can create some normalcy in a very unstable uh, digital slash distance environment for your students. Uh, and part of that is just acknowledging your own humanness, right? Um, and we will get into uh, all about that and, and some other stuff in this episode. But I am really excited to announce that we will have some Jabadoo merch available this holiday season. Um, I have a really talented friend from high school who has done all of my digital design thus far, including the Jabadoo logo and the artwork for this podcast. And she has designed some really cool, what I call teacher quotes, uh, T-shirts that will be um, will be made on some really nice, comfortable fabric for you to wear on your dress down days. Uh, so if you um, if you want to share your teacher pride or you want to gift some teacher pride to a colleague this holiday season, uh, check out some of those amazing, amazing T-shirts, which will be available at jabadoo.com slash merch. That's M-E-R-C-H, jabadoo.com slash merch. Uh, you will also be able to win one of these t-shirts or a Teachers Pay Teachers gift card in a upcoming contest that we will be having. So um, if you are familiar with Teachers Pay Teachers, it's a great website um, where you can purchase some classroom activities and lessons that are designed and made by other teachers. Um, all you have to do to be considered in this contest is uh, go rate and review this show on Apple iTunes or your um podcast listening app of choice, uh, or share an episode via social networks, uh, email, or text message. Uh, the goal just being to get this information uh, and this podcast out to more teachers um, throughout the holiday season here. So uh, contest details can be found by going to jabadoo.com slash contest. 
As always, everything else that we say on this episode, you can be, uh, you can find that on our show notes page, uh, which for this episode is jabbedu.com slash show 22, J-A-B-B-E-D-U.com slash show with the numbers 22. All right, that is enough call to actions for one episode introduction. Let's get into my conversation with Dr. Allie Goldstein. Today we have on the Jabadoo Education Podcast, Dr. Allie Goldstein. She is an assistant professor of higher education out of Penn State uh, with a focus in building communities online, which we're going to dive in today. And she is also a self-proclaimed technology aficionado and leadership educator. How about that? Yeah, it was great. There we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> Allie, thank you so much for joining us today. I know uh, we, we connected uh, earlier this summer, uh, but you are a new proud mama. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Um, thankfully, my daughter understands when it is Zoom time and I'm able to kind of move things around <laughs> based on her sleep schedule. So it's going quite well, actually. Perfect. Well, I'm so glad you were able to make some time for us today. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, then let's just get started. Dive right into it. I always like to start from the beginning, which is just who were you as a student? What were some of the things that you were interested in? Uh, and what were some of the things that uh, kind of led you down the path of going to college for communications, actually, not uh, directly into education first? So, Yeah. So um, I guess I'll just start by saying that my story um, kind of takes a lot of turns. And I think that that's pretty typical for um, students as they're kind of figuring out who they are and what they want to do with their lives. Uh, for me, when I was looking at colleges, it was post-September 11th. I'm from New York, and uh, it was really important to my parents that I be in driving distance from uh, where they live. So um, that kind of took the list of schools that I was really excited about and kind of um, localized them a little bit um, into areas. So the furthest that, that we could kind of agree on was eight hours. And I ended up actually attending an institution eight hours away from home, SUNY Buffalo, <laughs> Um, it, it just kind of, it was the right fit. When I went to campus for the first time and walked around, I could just really see myself there. Um, I can't really explain to you why that was the case. I went and I looked at a lot of schools, but that one just felt right. Um, so while it felt right, um, what didn't feel right was a major. And I, I started out at SUNY Buffalo, uh, undeclared and I stayed undeclared until year four. Uh, during that time, I, I took classes. I kind of leaned toward communications. It was something I was interested in, um, but I just wasn't really ready to commit. Um, and then at the same time as all of that was going on, um, I experienced a health issue that required me to go home and have some surgery. And I met with an academic advisor who suggested that I take a leadership class, that I could do it from home while going through the surgery. I missed a semester uh, in person. Uh, and he suggested it because he thought it would be an easy class. And it ended up being just my absolute favorite class. Mm. Uh, along those same lines from that class, I got involved in residence life. I became a student leader, started really um, taking an interest in my institution in ways that I could uh, help to make change and to make it a better institution for students that attended. Uh, I just loved it. Um, and I realized as I was going through this that there were these people that had these positions that I could see myself in, all of the people that worked at mm. the universities. Um, but that is not something that you can major in in college, right? You can't major in student affairs or being a residence hall coordinator. Sure. Uh, so communication seemed like a good fit. I had taken a lot of classes in that area. It, um, you know, I was able to think about things like marketing and think about how I interacted with others, which I felt would serve me well in the work that I wanted to do. So majored in communications. And then 
uh, it was time for graduate school and I knew I wanted to go to graduate school for two reasons. Um, one, I felt like I had just like finally gotten my feet wet in this thing that I wanted to become that I couldn't major in. Uh, and two, I was really involved in a national student organization and I had been elected to be the chairperson of that organization. In order to be the chairperson, you had to be an active student. And so um, that was kind of what propelled me to go to graduate school straight out of undergraduate. Um, so I attended San Diego State University uh, where I studied post-secondary educational leadership with an emphasis in student affairs, probably the longest title uh, for a master's <laughs> that you could ever get. Um, in terms of San Diego, it was really cold in Buffalo, needed a break. So we went to San Diego. That's what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I remember I was like sitting under blankets as I was like filling out applications. I had a Buffalo one, tore it up, only applied to California schools. Um, <laughs> so got in, went to San Diego State. While I was there, I had an assistantship where I worked in a leadership office, um, working with Greek Life, putting on programs um, for students, helping them, you know, think about things like uh, risk management if they were in Greek Life or um, their study skills or what their Myers-Briggs was, things like that. Mm. So just really, really loved everything about it. Um, and I, I don't know, when I was in school, I just really liked learning. And um, there were a couple moments in classes where I just had questions and I didn't feel like I had the answers, even though the professors were so wonderful and like, trying to give me the answers, but I wanted more. Uh, and there wasn't enough time for yeah, them to give me yeah. those answers. So I worked with my uh, advisor and I basically begged him to allow me to write a thesis. Our program did not have a thesis requirement. And he let me, he supported me through it. I loved every second of it. Felt like I was really able to explore a topic that I was interested in. So that said to me, it was time to maybe consider a doctoral program. Um, I had enough of the, the warm weather, so I applied to East Coast <laughs> schools, uh, and I ended up at Penn State, where I studied for uh, my doctorate. I earned it in 2017. Um, we'll talk a little bit more throughout this, but uh, my area of interest is online education, and um, my story there is that I just kind of lucked out with my assistantship. I was um, helping to TA a class for uh, residential students, their, their first, like their pro-seminar class that they would take. And I really enjoyed it. And the person who was co-teaching the class ha happened to be the person in charge of Penn State's uh, higher education online program. Um, he took me under his wing. He let me really help out with things, learn about uh, how you create an online program, how you create classes. Uh, and then simultaneously, I experienced another really interesting health issue where I lost some hearing, a decent amount of hearing. Um, and I just realized how wonderful online education can be because uh, you know, for me, the residential classroom was really hard. It was hard for me to to focus, to hear. Um, background mm -hmm. noise was really challenging. Um, and so I just, I realized just how wonderful online education could be. Um, and, that, you know, I already realized that, but that was kind of like my story and how it yeah. fit for me. Um, and I've been doing online education ever since. There's like lots of pieces to that story that I, I've left out. So I'm sure yeah, we'll go sure. into this later, <laughs> yeah. but this isn't, I didn't want to be too, too, too <laughs> lengthy on this. No, it's it's great, and and you know it's it's always fun to just hear where people come from. And I'm a little curious, just uh, you know, if you look back at middle school or high school, you would you say in that like, do you see any parallels between uh, maybe some of your experiences in in middle school and high school that say, you know what, yeah, I kind of ended up where I think I maybe was heading in that direction, or is it like black and white, <laughs> like there's no parallels. <laughs> So my mother is an administrator, uh, an educational administrator, and okay. I like adamantly told her I would never be her. <laughs> and there was a point probably five years ago where she just sat me down and she's like, I have something to tell you, honey. 
yeah, you became me. So um, I'd say your that, worst nightmare. <laughs> I mean, she's wonderful, but if yeah. she's listening, which I'm sure she will be, she'll enjoy that um, that nod to that. But um, well, what's yeah. that? There's that Liberty Mutual. I think it's Liberty Mutual that. Uh, whatever, whoever it is, or maybe it's progressive that it's the commercial of the guy who like teaches you not to be your parents. Oh, I, haven't seen that, but <laughs> I was on that path. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Anyway, but it worked out. Yeah. You know, I was involved in school. I volunteered a lot. Um, but I think really like, like maybe my denial was, was one thing. And more of it was like, my parents raised me a certain way, you know, they really encouraged me to give back. They taught me how to be empathetic and to listen to others. They instilled values in me that I absolutely see in the work that I do now. Uh, but maybe 15 year old me might've said, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like those, those values that you just talked about are, I think, at least I, I hope are pretty consistent across education, right? I've, a lot of people, I've said this before on the podcast, but I, I I personally got into education and I think a lot of people got into education because you kind of have this desire to kind of make an impact on the world in yeah. a, in a positive way. Um, and certainly throughout your career as an educator, you get to impact so many lives, um, and leave so many memories, which is, uh, something that definitely draws me to the, to the career path. So um, I am now a listener to your podcast. So I can say with confidence that the people want to know, did you looking back to yourself in high school and middle school, do you see connections to the work you do now? I, yes and no. So I, uh, when I was in middle school, I had this horrible, not horrible decision to make, but I mean, I, I, I was an avid soccer player. I really love soccer. So I was playing soccer in middle school and, uh, I, but in middle school, even I knew I wanted to go into music as a, as a career path. Um, so I felt like I had to make this choice between doing marching band and doing soccer because they were both in the same season. Yeah. Um, but luckily I was, I was able to do both. I thought it was going to be, uh, catastrophic, but yeah, since middle school, I, I knew I wanted to go into music in some, some way. And it wasn't till, um, like high school and college where I really kind of settled into, you know what, there's, I can do a lot of cool stuff with education. Yeah. Um, and it's just music is the, the subject that I decided to pursue. Uh, to that end. So um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you did. So uh, I guess moving, uh, transitioning just a little bit then, um, your current work, uh, I know you said you, you're a professor there up at Penn State. Now you kind of hung around after your PhD, which is, which mm -hmm. is great. Um, you do a lot more work in uh, higher education than you do in K-12, yes. right? So uh, can you just touch on, because we're obviously the, the goal is then to try to find some of those parallels between what's mm -hmm. happening in higher education and how we can implement that stuff in K-12, because yeah. uh, higher education tends to be uh, a few years ahead of the K-12 right. system, in, in my uh, opinion. So um, what are you working on up there at Penn State right now? So I am uh, one of two faculty members that uh, is chiefly involved in the uh, higher education program offered online through World Campus at Penn State. So uh, before, can I, is it okay to mention the pandemic? Yeah. I know this is something yeah. people will listen to beyond it, but um, before the pandemic, I was already doing online education. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I advise half of our program students, which is 75 to 100 students that I'm meeting with online from across the globe. Um, I help to develop courses, uh, writing the courses, I teach courses, do admissions, things like that. So um, I guess my greatest connection I could say for you right now is, um, you know, when the pandemic hit and everybody was making the sudden shift to yeah. online, or I would say actually it was a shift to remote. Uh, and I'll come back to that mm -hmm. in a second. But yeah. when suddenly um, there's this shift that you have to make, 
I've been doing the the other side of that for for quite some time. Now there are challenges that I don't um, have to experience. You know, if I'm working with uh, people that are uh, on the older side, uh, or not older side, but that are adults, um, they're, they're <laughs> older they're than K twelve. <laughs> older than K twelve, right? Like they don't have their parents that you need to bring in as somebody to help support them because mm-hmm. maybe they don't know how to use a phone or an iPad or to log into Zoom or something like that. So right. uh, definitely a different experience. Um, so, my, so, so the remote and online. Um, suddenly, when the pandemic hit and uh, you read news, everybody says online education is not the same as residential. Students are not going to learn the same. Mm-hmm. Um, that does a disservice to what I do. Remote education, in my mind, is that you're suddenly asking teachers to suddenly transition their work online with no experience, no support, that tomorrow you have to teach an entire day online. Online education, what I do is I spend semesters developing my lessons. I spend semesters curating what it is that's going to be taught. I have an infrastructure. I have different support um, that allows me to to do things a little bit differently. There's some assessment that goes in onto it. it it's um, crisis response versus like, we've just been doing this this whole time. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the other part of that um, in terms of K through 12 is I've been um, presenting to um, parents, uh, not parents, sorry, that's not even true. <laughs> I've been presenting <laughs> to uh, teachers and I've been presenting to um, speech pathologists and special educators right now in, in this time about using Zoom. And their needs are vastly different than mine. And not only are their needs vastly different, their support is. I work for uh, an organization that has money that they put into uh, World Campus, into into teaching online, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we have a, uh, not only do we have Zoom, but we have a learning management system that we use. So uh, I definitely recognize that as I talk today, I have some privileges with what I do and the support that I have that may not exist in the same way right now as people are responding to what is going on. Right. Yeah. And I know early in the, um, in the pandemic, like there was this large conversation around accessibility for students yes. because not everybody has the technology at home to be able to do uh, right. remote learning. And and thanks for uh, clarifying the difference between online learning and remote yeah. learning, because, you know, at least in, uh, in my position, I'm like, it's, it's almost like they, they set it up to be like, if we need to close the school down, we can go back to, uh, remote learning right and it's just it's a completely different way of teaching but what right. you're saying with with online learning you start even a year out saying okay yeah. semester of fall of 2020 is going to be a whole semester of digital learning right so you can mm-hmm. plan out your your stuff and your meetings and your tests and and have everything kind of set up and just there's a there's a better plan to it like you said versus crisis response which right. is what the entire uh country has been shocked into this this fall so um yeah I, thank you for that clarification um and I, I just i love your uh your uh, experience with not just online community, but online, the, the, the online community aspect, but then also the leadership aspect of that. Yeah. Right. So, um, because that was, that was another uh, area of your studies that you enjoyed was the, the leadership aspect. Yeah. So, um, how does, how do, how does that all play together between, uh, the online learning and, and the leadership and, uh, Maybe that's not great. I'm, well, I'm going to back let me up take a little a bit. Yeah. Let me take a stab. Okay, go for so, it. <laughs> I might not be answering your question, but I think that maybe you're asking me. I'm not me, even like, sure how... I asked a question. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what question I'm going to answer. We'll see okay. how that... <laughs> I, I'm going to answer the question of how do you conceptualize these two loves of yours and how do you bring them together? 
Mm -hmm. uh, this online educational leadership side of things. Um, so when I was um, a student, so I, I mentioned kind of my history. I was really involved as a student uh, throughout college and graduate school. I was also involved, the other thing I didn't mention, which is kind of a cool nod and an experience I had was when I was a student at Penn State, I had the opportunity to serve as one of the trustees for the university. I was a student trustee. So each of these experiences really impacted the way that I've learned. So, you know, if you think about I'm studying higher education and maybe in a class, somebody teaches me about budgeting. I'm like kind of listening, but when I'm the trustee that has to decide <laughs> whether or not we're increasing tuition for 90,000 students that are going to be furious and asking me questions, I am taking that in in such a different way. So right. knowing what I know about uh, experience and being involved and knowing what research shows us about how impactful student engagement is, um, when I was thinking about online education, I, I wondered, do students get involved? How do they get involved? Are they just logging in because they just want to get it done quickly? I had some, some biases and some uh, assumptions in, in terms of why students study online, what they're looking for. Um, and I, I kind of like, while I had those assumptions, I also knew how impactful my experience was. So, uh, for my dissertation, actually, I looked at engagement, um, how students define engagement. Do they want to be involved? What do they want to be involved in? And then also, do they feel connected to their institutions? Do you feel like a Penn Stater, even if you're in another country studying, mm, why did you choose right. to study at that institution when there are so many others existing? Um, so in the work that I do now, um, it's not just teaching because I have this position where I help with all of these different aspects of uh, our program. I'm able to do things like creating events for students or uh, opportunities for them to connect outside of the classroom. Uh, and it's, it's really fun and exciting. So uh, while my work wasn't impacted the same way that other faculty uh, had their work impacted uh, through COVID, we decided to throw a virtual graduation ce celebration for our students. Right, yeah. Uh, even though not many of our students come to our in-person graduation, we've never had a virtual graduation celebration before, but we thought, why not? This could be a really fun experience. And, and it was, and a lot of students attended and family attended, and it was a really nice opportunity to celebrate. Um, likewise, because I'm in a higher education program, you think about, you know, COVID affecting us. Well, my students mm -hmm. are studying online. Uh, they're studying higher education at the same time that many of them work at institutions where their students are having this experience and some of them are in crises or dealing with crises. And like you mentioned before, there's accessibility issues, there's equity issues. They're working through each of these things while also trying to learn how to do the work that they want to do in the future. So uh, even with that experience, we were able to create some uh, opportunities for community conversations where we brought students in. And we were able to connect via Zoom, just like you and I are now, mm. just to like talk and vent and ask questions right. and um, just figure it out together. So um, to yeah. me, that's kind of where they intersect. Does yeah, that and it's, make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, and it's so so important because you know just having that student voice and saying this is what you're putting out and this is how it's being received it might not be the same uh, way that you're putting like the same perspective that you have putting it out there. Right. Um, so I guess what would be uh, some tech or techniques, good Lord, what would be just like some things that you might recommend teachers consider um, when diving into like this, this concept of how do I create this community within my classroom where half of them are in person and half of them are at home online, like in a hybrid setting, um, yeah. you know, how do, how do we go about creating that, that community classroom? So I'm going to answer a little bit more broadly, um, just in general online, then maybe hybrid. And then, I mean, in okay. general, if you have students in person, so I'm going to try to kind of without individually covering each of those to just give some more general suggestions. Sure. Um, I think, you know, ultimately 
right now in this present moment, recognizing um, that, you know, people have a lot going on um, ourselves and our students, I think is really important. Uh, right now, while I'm, I'm in here and you don't see my baby or my dog, when I do sessions with my students, sometimes they're in the room uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, we can't control that. And I actually just saw recently um, somebody mentioning that their, their child was in the room because they were in a studio apartment. That was, that was mm-hmm. their environment. So um, I think just being human is really important, especially when you're connecting um, at a distance like this, because I think that it also um, kind of reduces some of the vulnerabilities that others may feel. Uh, And I I would say, obviously, depending on the age that you're dealing with, uh, a five-year-old may not have as many vulnerabilities in terms of they might be excited to show off their room. You don't know. It depends on the person (laughs) um, and kind of where they're at. Um, The second thing I would say just generally is uh, knowing where you lose people and knowing um, that that if, if it's challenging for you, it's almost certainly going to be challenging for others. I'm sure you've experienced yeah. that before. Yeah. Um, there's this desire to like innovate and be like cool and exciting in the technology you use. If it takes you five minutes to figure it out, it's going to take your students 10 minutes to figure it out. They're yeah. going to get frustrated and rightfully so. I think we all kind of like you get a new cell phone and it's not the one you've used before. And suddenly you don't want to use the thing because it's frustrating. That's mm. the same way that a student might feel, whether they are K through 12 or um, in higher education. Uh, yeah. Even as a... Sorry, <laughs> no, that's right. I'm just even as a teacher like that, that just resonated so we so well with me saying, you know, okay, we're in this digital world. I gotta go out and find all these digital resources now and I gotta yeah. like pull everything together and make it engaging and make it exciting. And it's yeah, it that's a good reminder that okay, especially at the younger levels, you gotta be careful with how difficult the tasks are that you're actually uh yeah. putting out there. I would say the same with with adult learners. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough, know. yeah. <laughs> My father is in his 70s and he'll he'll call me often to ask me. The other day he was on his laptop and he couldn't figure out how to get the Wi-Fi working because he was using it as a touch screen and it's not a touch screen laptop. So, um, you know, he figured that out eventually. I will not be sharing this this link to this podcast with him now that I've told you that story. Um, but but that's a fair, you know, if you're using an iPad, of course, you might think that your computer screen is a touch screen if that's what you're most accustomed to. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that technology, the the uh, language of the language barrier of just being able to use technology is another, um, step that many people might not have considered, you know? Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's fascinating and it's fun to watch. And I think really, um, you know, you maintaining your cool and being able to help through that is an opportunity to build a relationship with a student as well. Um, Mm -hmm. that I do all of my initial advising sessions via Zoom and I'm ready if a student has a problem and I don't make them feel bad if their audio was off. We just work through it. And that kind of helps to indicate that I'm on their side and which I am, that I want to see them Mm -hmm. succeed, that it's okay to not know everything because that's why you're in school. Um, So let me also just say, I can't say definitively what research would would share for this present moment, but um, the research there's, there's, that I've this done. This is unprecedented times. <laughs> I, I mean, you, there's right? been nothing like this before. And I, I mean, it's, yeah, please, please don't feel guilty <laughs> that you don't have research to document. What would you do in a pandemic when <laughs> <laughs> online learning? <laughs> but here's the thing, though. When you ask me how to build community, I've been doing it for years, but it hasn't mm-hmm. been during a pandemic. And it's been with students who have chosen to study mm-hmm. online. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I were if I were in a situation where I was working with students who hadn't chosen, which I've had a few students who wanted to be residential, I talk with them, I listen to them, I don't just jump into the lesson, I let them tell me why they're upset that this is not the situation that they that they asked for, you know, thinking about the fact that 
Um, you know, I haven't left the house. I don't, I don't go anywhere. I'm, <laughs> I'm practicing social distancing. Some of our students are in that same scenario where we might be the only person that, that they're really having time to talk with other than family mm-hmm. that are asking how their day is. Um, that's a pretty good way to build community and, and just to show your students that they matter to you and that you care about them. Um, yeah, so that's, that, that's something that, uh, has come back over and over again when asking, what can you do? And it's slow down. Don't jump yeah. right into the lesson. Listen to your kids, build that relationship. Um, yeah, just another great reminder to, to yeah. take a breath and enjoy the process. <laughs> as, as a, a fast talking New Yorker, I need to learn the, <laughs> the same. I was going to say for any of my, uh, um, uh, 76ers fans, they'll, they'll enjoy the, uh, reference to trust the process, but yeah. anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unprecedented times and, uh, it's any way that you can take that breath and connect with those kids, even online, like you said, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, you ask a question and somebody raises their hand on zoom and I go, okay, Sally. Yep. And there's silence, but their lips are moving. I go, you got to hit the mute button. You're on me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a learning curve. Yeah. And I, I would think too, uh, again, I'm not in K through 12, but I'm sure mm-hmm. that students are missing, especially if you are fully online. I'm sure students are missing things like recess, missing things like seeing their peers in the hallway and just having some like friend time. So, mm-hmm. you know, being creative and thinking like, do you need to do this actual event or does everything need to be classroom lesson based? Is there an opportunity to just have you know, a little social time or something like that. So uh, one thing that we did in our program that uh, we actually saw in another research study, so we use research for this one to kind of inform our practice, was we created something called higher ed happy hours, where we just say, come talk, there's no agenda, just come join us. And I think our first one, we had like 35 students just show up ready to just see who else was in the program. Because if you're not in the same classes together, you might be missing out on something like that. That took no effort from us. We just showed up and we were there. So um, I guess... Um, while you didn't ask this question, I would say, um, if I were to give any advice, it would be not everything needs to be a production. Some things can be just like, just try it out. Not a lot of effort. Some of the best things that we've done in our program were the ones that just, we came up with at a whim and just decided to give it a go and see what happens. Yeah. And I I just love that idea of like, just creating a time to not worry about school cool stuff in quotation marks, right? Yeah. But just to engage everybody in an opportunity to be present. <laughs> um, now you were mentioning before that, that you teach hybrid right now that you've kind of transitioned mm-hmm. into that. Have you found a difference in how community feels when it's some of the students online versus some in person versus all online, online or all in person? Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's honestly so different. It's tough to compare like with online, like all the kids are in the same spot, at least, even though they're in different areas, like they're all on the same screen and they see each other's faces and stuff. But like when, for me, my hybrid means that half the kids are in the classroom and half the kids are still on zoom from home. Right. So the kids who are on zoom from home, see me, but they don't see their classmates and vice versa. Their classmates can hear them talking through Zoom, but the camera is still, the screen, the laptop screen is still facing me as the instructor. So I would say honestly that probably the hybrid version has led to a more uh, broken community with having kids in person than you would have had as a, you know, a community with all in the same digital space. Yeah. I don't know how I would handle that. You know, one thought that (laughs) that you just kind of made me think about was, um, you know, really knowing your tools. And I realized like, while Zoom um, feels intuitive, there are all these different aspects to it that uh, not everybody knows about. So one that I would maybe engage in order to create some community would be the breakout rooms. 
just kind of breaking mm -hmm. students out and allowing them some time to connect. Uh, kind of like if you were uh, in class and you say like, connect with your table for a couple of minutes and talk about this problem that gives some students the opportunity to get into that smaller group. Um, I've used polling, I've used different like game show type things like uh, Kahoot, for example, yep. to kind of make things a little bit more fun. Um, but I think really the community part involves you giving students time to speak, giving opportunities for them to be able to, to share with one another and just listening and, and making sure that they know how much they matter to you and that, that you care about them. Yeah, that uh, the the Zoom, if anybody else listening to this is using Zoom, the Zoom breakout rooms is a really cool thing. I haven't taken advantage of that yet because we're just the way that we're navigating, but um, it seems really, really super useful. So um, I know I was sent a just a video training on how to use those. So I'll, if I can find that, I'll try to put that in the show notes so that, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great little uh, tip to dive into. Let me give another um, pro tip on Zoom. Yeah. So when you log into Zoom, what you see initially is nowhere near as many capabilities as Zoom has. If you go into your settings, you can actually activate other um, capabilities. So for example, polling, polling doesn't automatically show up. I can see on our screen right now, polling is not an option, but sure. that's something that you can actually set so that you can use it going forward. Same with breakout rooms. If you don't see that option exists, it's because you have to activate it in your profile. Right. And you can even uh, like, because we had an issue with students uh, chatting in the chat mm -hmm. room too. So like yeah. we learned how to go disable the chat <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there, and I know that there is different tiered levels to Zoom. So mm -hmm. um, do you know if any of that is uh, based because of a subscription that the university has that might not so, be available to anybody else? Or? So I, I, I don't want to, to be quoted on this because I'm probably going to be wrong. I believe <laughs> that, that, the, that the tiers of subscription have to do with um, how many people you can have per room, whether you can do webinars and how long your sessions are. So free accounts. I think mm -hmm. it's like 20 or 40 minutes maximum, but I but 40, I thought yeah. that you could still use breakout rooms on that. How about okay. when we're done recording this, I'll look that up so that we can make sure that the right information is going out to people that All might right. be interested in it. Perfect. And yeah, and then I'll, uh, I'll wrap, when I do my uh, post recording and wrap up, I'll make sure to include that yeah. or we'll put it in the show notes or something like that. People okay. will be able to find it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's cool to be able to learn about all these new technologies because now I will have the skills moving forward to to work on this. But um, it's been a challenge for everybody. So if you're listening to this and you're you're saying this digital age stuff, this digital learning is not <laughs> the answer, I hear you. I get it. But take it. Take the moment to learn some new skills as well. Um, yeah. And and yeah, be better. Be a better teacher in the future for it. So. And I used to go to conferences all the time and try to convince people that online education was something that they, you should pay attention to. Because the reality is, while this may not be ideal in all situations, perhaps there are ways that we could innovate that are impactful. Or, you know, even like if, you know, so in, in the world that I'm, I'm going to use higher education analogies because they're a little bit easier for me to mm -hmm. think about. If I have a student that's commuting and I'm an academic advisor, while that student could come meet with me face to face, maybe I could save some time for them by right. connecting with them via Zoom. So there are things that you can use from this going forward if online education isn't, uh, you know, your wheelhouse or where you see yourself. Um, but even before all of this, what we saw in terms of trends, both in K through 12 and higher education was increases in students enrolling in online education. So 
um, this is kind of like a crash course, but it, it's a crash course that you will be able to use going forward. <laughs> it's bringing a new definition to the word crash <laughs> yeah. in crash course too. Um, yeah, but I mean, just even the, I mean, the, the concept of a flipped classroom too, where students go watch a video to learn a concept and then they come to class to get more in-depth yeah. uh, discussion around that new concept that they learned earlier. There's arguments for that actually being a more productive way of learning too. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely, I mean, technology is not going anywhere. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> technology learning is not going to be going anywhere either. And like you said, arguably it's, it's likely to go up. Um, but yeah, I, I still, I'm, I'm hooked on that, uh, your definition of this is crisis management <laughs> and not, uh, <laughs> this is not digital learning. This is distance yeah. learning. Um, well, and people a, choose to study online, you know, so we, we got to honor the fact that there's something about that, that, that they want. Uh, mm -hmm. And students constantly tell me that it, that it's harder than in person. So I don't think that students are choosing online because it's easier. I've taken online classes myself. I think that, you know, when you think about maybe a student that's, uh, you know, has a family or doesn't live in an area where there are institutions that offer the, the degrees that right. they want. Um, there's some really wonderful opportunities. And uh, I've actually done some research on not not research and writing, but research on looking into yeah, sure. uh, K through 12. Yeah. And, you know, there's plenty of reasons why parents choose to have their students study remote or partially remote. So, um, yeah, I just I, it's hard when I hear people say that that a distance education isn't <laughs> isn't the future, isn't the right thing, because that almost like discredits the people that for for them, this is the right choice. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, and it's great to work with those people. And I've said this before, but it's it's because I think there's there's pushback because one, it wasn't chosen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and two, it's new. And oftentimes right. whenever it's human nature, when we're presented with something new that we didn't choose to <laughs> want to be presented to, we're right. going to naturally put, throw up some walls and, and start to discredit it. And that's just uh, unfortunately, that's human nature. But um, so thankful that there are people are, like you who are leading the way uh, in in online education and just uh, future visions and all that stuff. So um, this is this has been great. This has been uh, really informational. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to yet uh, before we head over to our exit ticket questions? Yeah, I might touch on these a bit more in the exit questions, but uh, I think uh, in addition to what I said before about, uh, you know, don't pick those crazy technologies, there are so many resources out there that are available. Uh, and and in addition, so I'll talk about the resources uh, toward the end, but uh, mm -hmm. when I do work online, I really think about like what, you know, the same thing that you hear now when with the this transition to the pandemic, what needs to be a meeting versus what ways can I connect with others otherwise, or mm. what needs my attention versus uh, are there ways that I could make this a little bit more, um, that, I, that I could be a little bit more strategic. So for example, um, you know, this semester I mentioned that I, I just had a baby. I mm. took time to type up all of my announcements for the semester. I write to my students twice a week at minimum and I scheduled all of them delayed delivery so that my students get them every time and I'm consistently there for them, but I'm not consistently there in that moment. I use some right. of my free time to do that so that I could use that, that in that moment time when a student needs me immediately. So that was kind of a way that I was strategic or when I develop lessons, instead of me um, you know, describing what meta ethics is, if I could find a really interesting video, I'd rather use something like that because I'm not gonna do it better than that person is, but I am absolutely sure. attributing what I do, uh, what I share with, with that person. So kind of that flipped classroom type experience. Mm -hmm. um, but more than anything, it's really just, um, you know, 
kind of finding a balance between uh, making sure that I'm supportive and there for the students, but also making sure that I'm not getting in too deep or finding myself um, kind of like burnt out, which I, I imagine many are uh, feeling right now. I keep hearing people talking about right. Zoom fatigue. I don't yep. feel Zoom fatigue, <laughs> but that's because I'm strategic about when I schedule my meetings. It's because I've been doing this for a long time. Um, a lot of my work is not required to be at a Zoom meeting 24 seven. So I, I have mm. a little bit more balance. Um, so I guess as much as you're able to, I would just recommend finding that balance. Don't feel bad if you need to share a video or uh, if you want to do breakout rooms to give students a chance to uh, interact, but to give you a second to regroup, you, you have to make sure that you're all right during all of this as well. Yeah, that uh, we definitely in the last decade or so, there's been more of a uh, just a focus on mindfulness. And I think yeah. just that, you know, I think... <laughs> the for at least when I was growing up and my first experience with it I was like meditation is so hippie <laughs> you know but I think the shift to this idea of uh you know mind body connection and, and mindfulness and de-stressing I think is probably the one that gets most people on board with it yeah. um that's that's a conversation for a later day but yeah <laughs> a lot of a lot of value behind uh the research that's behind there too so um yeah, very cool. I could I could talk with you another like four hours about all the different tech <laughs> technology options that are out there. You'll hear somebody in my house crying if we. If we <laughs> so alas, we move to our exit ticket questions. These are the same four questions that I ask everyone who comes on, and the first one is: Do you have any book recommendations that teachers should go check out? Okay, I'm defying your question. Um, I'm not going to recommend books because right now with what I study, every book that you read would have nothing to do with what we're dealing with right now. Sure. Uh, instead, what I would recommend is finding some sort of app or um, you know, whether, whether it's an app or if you prefer just kind of getting um, subscriptions in your inbox that allows you to aggregate new sources and resources mm -hmm. that really um, help you to understand uh, what's going on in the world, to understand what other institutions and schools are doing. Uh, the one that I use is Feedly. Uh, it's an app that I have on my phone and I just okay. select different uh, news sources from higher education news to the Wall Street Journal, which I get for free through my institution mm -hmm. to uh, my my colleges, uh, my institutions, uh, news sources. I tag things like technology or online education and it puts everything into a neat um, app that I can kind of just scroll through so I can see mm -hmm. all different news sources quickly and easily. And to me, that's the way that you find out the innovative things that are going on. Um, to read a book right now on this, I think you would, you'd would you be spending a lot of time on one topic, one kind of very insular topic, whereas um, doing what I'm doing right now kind of gets you to see a little bit more of, of the greater picture and different different things that and approaches that people are using. Sure. And not to mention that technology moves so fast that yeah. it takes you six months to write a book. It takes another six months to get it published. Yes. It takes another couple of weeks to get it distributed and then it's outdated. <laughs> And books are great for the history and books are great for the theories. But if you want to know what's going on right now in this present moment, um, just finding a way to really get the news and the news that matters most to you into what it is that you're interested in is, is to me, I think, the, the best way to really make sure that you're getting a full picture of what's going on. That's awesome. What was the app called again? I used Feedly, F-E-E-D-L-Y. Okay. I will have to check that out. That's a new, new uh, learning for me. Very cool. Um, what would be a resource or multiple resources <laughs> that you okay. would uh, suggest teachers go check out? Okay, so uh, right now there are a bunch of different learning tools that you could use. So there's Zoom yeah. and, um, you know, if, if your institution or school doesn't have Zoom, uh, I've seen uh, Google Meet be used. Yeah. Zoom also has a free uh, shorter uh, opportunity where you could yeah. uh, make a free account and connect with people. 
as well. Um, Adobe Connect, Collaborate. There's, there's tons of different resources for the face-to-face -face, uh, online side of things. In terms of learning tools, uh, I've seen you know, people using things like um, Kahoot, which for a while had free opportunities for educators to use because of the pandemic. Um, there are different apps where you can scan um, pictures or, or books, parts of books, but you have to make sure that you're not violating copyright law. Sure. Important yeah. disclaimer there. Um, so just things to kind of make the, the virtual classroom a little bit more fun. Uh, and I actually have a, a sheet that I usually give out with different um, resources that, I, that I've had other people kind of come up with with me in these. So I'm happy to share that. It's not like very pretty or anything, but it, it's just like a, a list. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard a list of, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've seen people use Boom Cards before as well, um, which is, I, I don't know much about it because it is K through 12, but it's a learning tool that has different games that you can use. Um, likewise with mm -hmm. Zoom, you can share your uh, your iPad or your iPhone. So if you wanted to do like uh, highlighting or handwriting type things, that's an opportunity too. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, beyond the physical tools, because those are always changing. And if people listen to this in a week, there's going to be changes. Um, <laughs> if I were to give advice right now, it would be to really utilize your professional networks and your professional associations. Mm -hmm. Because of the pandemic, so many associations are having online conferences, which yeah. takes costs from $1,000 to $80 or $90 and allows you to really um, you know, participate without having to travel, without having to pay the larger conference fees. So if you're not sure if you wanted to participate in something like that or be a member in the future, that would be my greatest recommendation. Uh, one that that I pay some attention to in terms of their journal would be the Online Learning Consortium uh, that really talks about different opportunities related to online education. In my field, um, we use NASPA and ACPA, which are both student affairs type um, organizations. There's also ASH, which is a higher education organization. But when you go to a conference online or in person, you get this booklet of a thousand different workshops that are going yes. on. You find the ones that make sense to you. You find people that you can connect with. There are mentorship opportunities as well. So I would say that if you have the time, if you have the resources, that would be where I would be going right now, because that's how you're going to get information on how other people are handling this current situation and how they're adapting their classrooms and, and trying to connect with their students as well. Yeah, absolutely. And if I could, if I could go back and tell first year teacher John one thing, it would be go to a conference because yes. that I it, I waited till my second year and yeah, I I mean it. I got probably four or five months worth of <laughs> material to go use uh, just at that one weekend conference. So why did you wait um, till your second year? What's that? What What was the reason you waited till your second year? Uh I, honestly, I think it was just out of fear of missing a day yeah. <laughs> and, and worrying, worrying about a yeah. sub coming in and, and just navigating that. Obviously, you know, I was sick yeah. uh, a couple of times for that first year. So I, you had to do the subs anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, it would be it would be go go do those conferences and go and get yeah. involved in uh, those organizations and and check out those organizations websites. And uh, now they have they probably all have Facebook groups that they're putting yeah. stuff out. And yeah, there's so many different ways to connect uh, in the digital world. Yeah. So the reason I asked you uh, about why you didn't attend your first year mm -hmm. is I didn't attend my first year because I was too intimidated. And I wish that I could go back and tell myself, you know, first year alley, there's no reason to be intimidated. The point yeah. of these organizations is for you to learn, um, especially now if it were online, I'm an introvert, I would be there in a second. That is a lot easier for me than the in-person, the large conference, especially mm -hmm. with hearing issues. Uh, you know, there's some opportunities in terms of accessibility there as well. So again, if you're nervous at all, um, you know, obviously the the time and the ability to take time off or the cost like, is an, a fair reason to not be able to Absolutely. attend. But if you've been thinking about it, this is the time to do it. 
Yes. If you if you've been tossing it up in the air, oh, yeah. should I do it? Should I do it? Just do it. Do it. Pull the trigger. Go do it. Yes, absolutely. Hundred percent agree with that. Yep. Question three. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yes. What piece of advice would you like to give teachers, maybe particularly those who are just starting out their careers, other than go attend a conference? <laughs> okay. So I think it kind of relates to the advice that I gave before. Don't doubt yourself. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is the same for others, but there have been many moments in my life where I have thought I am not the expert. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. I don't have the experience. Uh, you have the experience because you were a student. So to be able to take a step back to think about what it was like to be a student, to think about, you know, that first day where you had those jitters and you were worried about, you know, meeting the teacher for the first time, or what if you answer a question wrong or something like that, you know what it's like. Just be mm -hmm. empathetic. Um, don't don't question yourself. Try to never lose that insight into what that experience is like. Uh, I think that kind of goes back to the empathy part that we talked about before, taking time to ask questions to students, taking time to get to know them. Uh, that really makes a difference and that you don't need to be a 20-year teacher to have that experience. Y you can do that year one. Um, just again, don't doubt yourself. You've got this. My second piece of advice, which I already talked about before, is uh, try to avoid burnout. Um, yeah. For me, even though I don't get Zoom fatigue, I am constantly looking at a screen. So I do things like I print out. I, sometimes I print out papers to read them because it's a little bit easier for me to have uh, the physical paper or while I'm always looking at a computer screen, sometimes I'll, I'll grade or review things on my iPad just because that gives me a break from sitting upright at this computer screen all day long. Um, you know, it's okay if, if somebody asks me to meet and it's not a good time to say, I really can't tonight uh, and to give myself some time as well. I, I exercise, I go for walks, I do things just to kind of give myself the chance to recharge because this is, this is a long game that we're in right now. And especially if this is not something that you're used to doing, it can be really exhausting. Your career matters, your sanity matters, your mental health matters. <laughs> yeah. um, really give yourself some time, find ways to step away and to do things that are, that are meaningful and enjoyable to you. Yeah. And I mean, both of those wrapped together are just you know, uh, acknowledge and accept your humanness. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes teachers, uh, you know, we, either in our own minds or in the public eye, we are put up on this pedestal of somebody who's supposed to know everything, right? Yeah. And this is unprecedented times. Of course, we're not going to know anything. So acknowledging that and being open with your students and with your parents. And if something happens saying, I wasn't expecting that, I'm sorry right. that this happened. I'm still learning just like you're learning. You know, mm -hmm. I've said that to a couple of students. They're like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then, like you said, yeah, taking that time is obviously so important as well. Um, I, I have made a point to, I, when I leave school, I do not look at my email until sure. the next morning. I am not there yet. I have, <laughs> I have Apple Watch on, uh, but I do take time to to do things for myself. I exercise and I cook. Those are my two my two favorite things to do. There you go. And I I yeah. play piano and I Ooh. bike. <laughs> but music teacher, right? Piano still kind of relates there. But it's different than what I do. Like yeah. teaching, like for me, I sit down at a piano. I just kind of like jam out on it, yeah. and it's it's much less. You know, it's it's that mindfulness aspect where you kind of right. sit down and you kind of just let your mind go. Like yeah. I, I sink into being piano or into playing piano. So that's for me, obviously not for everybody. But it also sounds like you love what you do. So that's a nice connection there. It is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question would be uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, where would be the best place to send them? 
Okay, so I'd say the best place to send them is probably my email. Uh, my email address is asg206 at psu.edu. I have a Twitter. It's just easier in terms of like if, if I said the sure. letters wrong or something like that. It's Higher Ed Alley, Higher okay. Ed Alley, Higher Education Alley. Right. Uh, and I would just say, um, again, I know with technology that there are some setbacks or, or challenges associated with it and that it can be frustrating, but there are also some really wonderful opportunities. I'm telling you right now, feel free to email me. I'm happy to connect with you. We can Zoom, uh, you know, we could we could find a way to connect and just to talk. These are opportunities that you have to network beyond uh, where you live and the people that you know. And so as much as there are challenges that, that you might be experiencing right now as you figure out how to connect with your students and how to transition your work uh, to remote, uh, again, I hope that you're able to find ways to really make it impactful for you too. Yeah, awesome. Well. Like you said, our everything that you said uh, on these questions, we will obviously link to the show notes. So if you missed yeah. it and you didn't get a chance to write it down, don't worry. Just go to the show notes page. So <laughs> it'll be there. Uh, Allie Goldstein, Dr. Allie Goldstein, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. I appreciate your time uh, as a new mama. I know that this, this uh, time by yourself is valued and I appreciate you spending it with me. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you for having me. There you go. Uh, thank you, of course, to Allie uh, for giving her time in, in the midst of this global pandemic and being a new mother. Uh, I know how valuable it is. So um, we covered a lot in this episode, didn't we? And uh, I actually I actually thank Allie for uh, asking me a few of those questions because uh, I feel like I do all these backstories and questions um, of everybody else. But most of you probably don't know too much about me. So hopefully her questions provided a little insight into uh, my story and my current world of teaching. What I really liked about Allie's perspective was uh, the fact that she acknowledges that <laughs> teachers have been uh, thrust into this world of distance learning without really any uh, prior or proper training of how to engage kids and create that sense of uh, community, uh, classroom community that so many of us are so accustomed to uh, when teaching in person. You know, I've I've definitely found it very frustrating, uh, especially in the world of hybrid teaching, where some of the students are in person and some are online through Zoom or another platform. Um, I found it really difficult to make those personal connections with kids and to foster those uh, connections between students, right? And especially between the students in person and the students on Zoom. Uh, really, really difficult. But her tips on using Zoom. Uh, using the breakout rooms and the polling option, which I did look up, and at the time of this recording, uh, the breakout rooms are included in the free version, but the polling uh, you do need to be a licensed user for. But hopefully some of you are in schools where um, they've already purchased a license for you. So I have included a link to a training that Zoom uh, on Zoom's website um, of how to use those polling, uh, that poll option in your meetings, and it's actually really pretty cool. Um, so... Those are just two of thousands, I'm sure, of different tips on how to use Zoom to improve your distance learning strategies. But um, again, the the thing I want to reiterate, reiterate is you, your students know that you're human. <laughs> so if something that you are trying doesn't work, it's okay. All right, I promise it's okay. Um, but just continue to try those new things, uh, especially if you are somebody who hasn't uh, done a whole lot of experience with digital formats of stuff, right? Just try it um, and find the one thing that's going to work best for you. Uh, like Ali said, there's 
very little literature on teaching in a hybrid classroom. So give yourself a break because nobody knows the best way to do it, at least by the evidence, right? Everybody's got to find their own way to do it. So find find some time to decompress. Um, you know, there's a reason that uh, on an airplane, they tell you to put your mask on first before you help somebody else. And you can't help your students if you are not helping yourself. So um, it's just unsustainable. Um, so find a way to do activities outside of school that fill you up, right? We talked about that. Find activities that fill you up so that you are full for your students. Just a reminder that um, check out jabadoo.com slash merch in the coming days. We do have some Jabadoo logo shirts currently available. So if you want to go check those out, um, they are available there at jabadoo.com slash merch. But for those teacher quotes tees, uh, they will be available starting on Black Friday which is this coming Friday for those of you who are listening uh, to this when it releases. So check those out. Uh, We are doing that end of year contest to increase our listenership. So uh, if you are interested in winning either a Teachers Pay Teachers gift card or one of those teacher quote uh, t-shirts, check out those rules, jabadoo.com slash contest. And again, everything that we talked about on this episode will be listed on our show notes page by going, you can find those by going to jabadoo.com slash show 22. And until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. And that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content. And it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.